ultimate CEO. The ultimate CEO. An ultimate chief executive. What is it? What is it like? What does it mean? What do you do? How do I get there? Once I get there, how do I stay there? How do I keep the ground that I gained? What do I have to have that undergirds me and keeps me in that position? What does it feel like? When I'm an ultimate CEO, what would it feel like? What do people say it is? How do I build strength of support so I can accomplish all things for Christ? How do I give God a steady compounding return? How do I give God an ROI, a return on the greatest investment ever made in us? How do I optimize my success? How do I go from a seemingly successful ministry to an optimally successful ministry? How do I go from being a maximum CEO to becoming an ultimate CEO? What is it? What do I have to do? How do I get there? Well, that's what we're here to learn. How can this work harder for me so that I can have freedom? Freedom for what? Freedom to be closer to God, more intimate with God, even, even more than you've achieved so far. Freedom to have new relationships, new entrances, to, to be the entrepreneur you were created to be, to be the visionary that you were created to be, to have new exposures, new relationships, new connections, the freedom to do that, and have the ministry continue to flourish with compounding success. How do, how do we do that? What does it mean to stop leading? What does it mean to stop leading and start facilitating? Going from leading and leadership, which we've spent 13 years pounding on, now go to facilitation to be the ultimate CEO as a facilitator of the work, no longer the leader. Yes, you're still the leader, but I want you to start to view yourself as a facilitator. How do I transition from maximum to ultimate? Now, some of us here are ready to move. Some are planning to move. Some have already taken steps to move into being an ultimate CEO, moving from the maximum to the ultimate. Some of you need a bit more work before you're ready to move. A bit more of polishing the system that we put in place. 
the methods, the systems, the process, the methods, the processes, the procedures that we put in place that form the system. Because the system that we've been working on putting in place is more important than your vision. Because you won't achieve the vision if you don't have the right system. And we spent all these years, for some of you, many, many years. Some of you have been with me from the beginning. And some of you joined the fold last year. But we're working on putting a system in place that will then allow you to be the ultimate CEO and will allow you to accomplish all that God mandates that your ministry must accomplish. But some of you need a bit more work. Some are ready. Some need a bit more work. Some need a lot more work. Some are just getting started. Maybe sometime in the past year or two, you're just getting started. And you're building depth of competency. You're modeling the things that you've learned here that God has taught us. You're now modeling those things, and they're going deeper into your ministry. But that takes time. This is not a quick fix. This is a system. This is systemic. It takes a while to get it implanted in your ministry and then to refine it by developing the skills and the art forms that every CEO has to have to make this come to fruition, where you have a system that is an infrastructure that's in place where you can go anywhere for God. You don't have to go back and rebuild the foundation. You can go anywhere with God. Now, some of you, the group that stood last, well, second to last, the, the CEOs that are here for the first time, you haven't heard the basic training. You don't know what the system is. You don't understand when I say maximum CEO, the three and a half days uh, that we did here a year ago. Uh, but that's okay. I'm going to do a quick little review from the perspective of what did they learn. And it's going to take just 20 minutes, hopefully. But it'll give you a little bit of a, of a preview of what the foundational basic training is. And it's repetitions of motor learning, so it doesn't hurt to go over it again. But we're, not, but we're here to do advanced. We're not here to do the basic this time. But I, I encourage you that are here for the first time, you'll, still, you'll glean a tremendous amount. Most, mostly, you will get a bigger vision. And hopefully, you will gain, as they did, newfound confidence, new hope for a healthier future. And that some of the the uh, tragedies of losing 22,000 pastors every year, we're working on that. That's the dysfunction of doing. So, but I encourage you to get to a basic training after this, I, and you'll hear more about that. Pastor Whitfield, Pastor Del Turco are going to share some things with you tonight uh, at the fellowship, uh, you, the, those of you that are new, and uh, encourage you to pursue this for your sake and your ministry's sake. This is how you get a quality of life and build a great ministry. Not an oxymoron, those two things. But you can't be ultimate until you maximize the system. Okay, what does, what does it feel like, I said? You know, what do they say about it? So I, I've done a couple things here. I, we're just priming the pump here, okay? We're going to be together for three days. But I, I, I have, and I, you know, this has been on my heart since I started doing this for 13 years, but we weren't ready. But now we're ready. We have enough people that have maximized their ministries, 
and we're ready to go to another level. And for the rest of us to catch the vision and, and, and be more excited about working through the, th the challenges to get to the next level. But this has been on my heart for 13 years. You know, this is, this is the main reason why I didn't retire. This is the main reason why I've dedicated the rest of my life to, to doing this. And Carol and I both uh, hit 70 this past fall. And uh, we're just getting warmed up. You know, this is just the beginning. We got 10 years on Moses, you know, so we're. <laughs> but what, is, what does it feel like? Well, indulge me here a little bit, okay? Just relax and get it in your spirit. But uh, some things that, uh, that were on my spirit and I want to share with you. Um, I, I came across a uh, Yankee magazine. Um, Carol was born in the Midwest, but I was born in New York, which isn't really Yankee land. They, they don't ask Pastor Del Turco, he's from Boston. They, you know, they tolerate us. But uh, the Yankee magazine, and I saw this article here, The Call of Winter's Stillness. The Call of Winter's Stillness. And when I saw that picture there, it brought back a lot of memories for me because we had a beautiful old farmhouse in Connecticut and I commuted 60 miles or two hours every single day one way and then two back so my kids and Carol could live in the country and I could work in New York City. That sounds insane just saying it right now. <laughs> but I did it for 15 years and uh, it was not the optimum, believe me. But, it, but I, I used to, when I would be home, now, you know, we get Yankee Magazine, um, and, but we live in Arizona. You know, we, we smartened up after a while. Uh, and for some of you I know in the Midwest or in this region, this is not an attractive picture right now. You know, you've had enough of this lately here with the blizzards and another one coming. But, I, but you know, we paid our dues, but we, we live in, we, sit in Scottsdale and read about people back there in <laughs> New England, you know, so, but we paid our dues, okay, and uh, I saw, but wait, here's what I want to, I want to sh share with you. There were, there were great memories, we had a beautiful farmhouse, that's not the picture of the property, but we, we uh, had lovely woods and acreage and stone walls and we had a couple ponds and we used to skate and build bonfires in the wood and everything in the woods and all but what I remember significantly and what I want to share with you is the times when I could find enough peace because I was an adrenaline junkie like most of you and I would find those times of peace when I would walk through the woods with a fresh snow a brand new snow had just fallen and it was quiet. And I, I cherished those times of quiet and peace and freedom. Uh, so I'm trying to give you a picture of what it could be like to be an ultimate CEO. And I'm not exaggerating. There are many that are doing this. And you should have it. And I'll, we'll learn in these next three days why and what and how. But I, feelings, and I wrote some down here over at the hotel. But a quietness, a stillness a peacefulness, a serenity. Now, I gotta be honest, I, I didn't know how to capitalize on this. 
You know, the when I saw snow, the first thing I thought of is get on skis and start bombing down the hill, you know, look for moguls and go for it, you know. And so finding, taking these times and capitalizing them was not my strong suit. But I cherished it, and I didn't know enough to get more of it in my life. But serenity, your serenity, it's exhilarating. You know, that fresh fallen snow, and everything's changed. Everything's changed. It, everything is peaceful and quiet and still and calm. There's newness, there's freshness, there's change, I just said. It's quiet, it's still, and guess what? You can hear the still, small voice of God when we have those moments. God feels closer, and you're able to hear him. And he's able to speak to us, because we're quiet. And we're not exercising this thing. And, he, and we're listening to him. So you can think clearly. You have time to think. You have a new boldness comes up in your spirit. And your spirit is alive. But ultimately, you're close to God. And in that picture, can we show that again? Yeah, in that picture, I used to love to walk the fields and then go into the woods where these feelings would come up. And I, that is the best way that I could think of to share with you what it would feel like to you when you get properly positioned as an ultimate CEO. Not just so you can have a walk in the woods, but you can have the qualities that I just ticked off here that will change your life and change your ministry for the better, for the better. As you walk the journey as a CEO of your ministry, I crave that for you, those feelings. I mean, you can get the same feelings from a garden, and that's in the book, you know, walk through the garden alone, and you, however you get those feelings. But when you get those feelings, I just tried to tell you from my own experience what some of them were for me. And, I, and you, you get them. Let me share one other thing that I just read in, well, it was in the, was in the same article. The author wrote this. There's something, and just, just here, here, get this in your spirit too. There's something joyful about storms that interrupt routine. Now, I, you know, I got this before the last blizzard went through here. Uh, snow or freezing rain suddenly releases you from expectations, performance demands, the tyranny of appointments and schedules. You know, I know it's not easy when, the, when there's no services because of the blizzard and we have no offering. You know, now we got a Monday morning, we're sitting down looking at the budget, you know, figuring out how we're going to make it through the year. We just lost, you know, a huge chunk of the, of the annual tithes and offerings. But, but think about it from, from this perspective. One can almost hear a unified sigh rise from the nearby city and the surrounding countryside where nature has intervened to give respite to weary humans slugging it out, or slogging it out, I guess, it, in, uh, with, without her purview. All those affected this way are united by a mutual excuse. We don't need to have excuses. We can get ourselves positioned ultimately, so that we have this on a reoccurring basis all the time. There will be no apologies needed for not showing up to some commitment or another. Everyone understands and shares in the singular justification and the sudden alleviation of the pressure 
to produce. The pressure to produce. So I thought that answers the question of what does it feel like or what can it feel like for you. Relieves the pressure and those still silent moments where your spirit jumps and is alive and God's close and you can hear his still small voice. Then I had uh, the joy of visiting with, with a pastor in Colorado and he's actually... Uh, transitioning in to the ultimate. And we were chatting about it. I just wanted to get, get some words of wisdom from him and what's it like. And uh, we were sitting down having a cup of coffee and uh, we were at a beautiful setting in Colorado and he said, my job is to work out of my job and help people find their place. So you're working out of the job so you can be the ultimate CEO. Empower them. Facilitate their connectivity. Be a catalytic facilitator. That's what I wanted. Those words that jumped off because I, that's what I wanted to say to you. I want you to become the facilitator. You've been the leader. You're still going to be a leader, but now you're the facilitator of other strong leaders. And to get people, this pastor said, get people divinely connected. Divinely connected. Then two weeks ago, uh, I was invited to come up to Canada uh, to do a program uh, that reaches about a third of the nation. Uh, it's a new program. Uh, pa pastor Peter Youngren bought this uh, Christian station in Canada called, and he, his program, this particular program is called Encounter, and so uh, Pastor Annis, who is my director in Canada, for the director for the, he's, he's the director for Faith Christian Fellowship in Canada, but he's the director of the Ministry Institute in Canada as well, and the two of them work together, one and one, and one equals seven, but he, <coughs> he uh, uh, invited me to come on the program with, and Pastor Younger and did as well. And so I, I want you to see a clip of something that he shared because this answers the question, what do people say about it? Well, I just shared with you what one pastor said about it uh, in our coffee clutch time there, but this, this little clip from the video will also convey to you what do people say about it and then we'll pick up on, on some of the key points that Pastor Annis made in this interview. So I was doing my usual blabbing, but then he interjected some real salient points. And so let's go ahead and roll that clip. First of all, he clearly defined what a leader is. And you, you establish that so strongly in the hearts and minds of your people, first of all, in your own self, that we are the directors of constructive change toward God's desired future. and future. Mm -hmm. We are the directors of constructive change. We're not doers. We are directors of the constructive change for God's desired future, what he wants done. And when we begin to follow that, and the other thing that really impacted my life is leaving a legacy. And that we're not doing our job unless we're reproducing ourselves. Somebody can take our place. 
And I've just gone through, Dr. Ed, uh, we're just going through a transfer of leadership in our church. We would have never been able to do this without the teaching that I've received from you over the years. Because the leader, and I am, I am absolutely convinced that we go outside ourselves because we have not had good leadership principles and we haven't raised up within us. And one of the major problems in churches is that we're always bringing somebody from out here instead of somebody from within here. Because we go to somebody else's work, what they've developed. But we have developed in our, in our own camp. But when we raise them up with our heart, with our vision and with our dreams and our goals, and they have our heart in them, then the work of our hands, Psalm 90, he made a prayer and established the work of my hands. I'm sick of seeing something built and going, built and declining. Established the work of my hands. And when we understand that principle of new teach, the work of our life becomes established. And men rise up from within, within our own circles and they go where we didn't get to go. They, and, and the dream that we have becomes fulfilled in them way beyond our time. And so that's one of the most exciting things that you call it the Timothy Principle. The Timothy Principle. And, and it's so powerful. Let's, let's just rehearse a couple of the key statements that uh, Pastor Annis made. Um, he talked about what a leader is. And that's, you know, that's, that's what Maximum CEO uh, has taught us. And that's what we've been practicing and refining and developing in our ability to model what a leader is. So we're modeling for future generations and modeling for those that are going to be the infrastructure to hold us up in the ultimate position. He mentioned about directors, being a director, or a director or a facilitator, they're interchangeable words, but he talked about directorship, leaving a legacy, reproducing our, and just like you don't have to be ready tomorrow to step into multi-sites to get something out of what Jim's going to share with us, you, you don't have to have, you don't start your legacy when you get to be my age. We start building a legacy now, and you've heard that from me before, but leaving a legacy. And he is now transitioning because of the work that he's done into being the ultimate CEO, leaving a legacy, reproducing himself, yourselves, for, for others to take our place, he said, for others to take our place. <clears throat> now that's important because we're going to do the ultimate tachometer. Those of you that have been here before, you know about the tachometer. And we'll review that very quickly. But the ultimate tachometer, meaning that other people are going to be leading the ministry. Well, what do I do? Well, I'll get to that. <laughs> Transfer of leadership. They made a transfer of leadership. He's been freed up to do more for Canada than he could do in his own house. But he's still the facilitator of the whole thing, the director of the whole thing. But now he's able to touch Canada, the whole nation. And this was a, an opportunity for us to promote the training that I'll be doing in Alberta in March. Uh, for the western part of Canada. We've been in the eastern part of Canada in the Maritimes, and now this will be out in uh, Red Deer, Alberta, right between Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, we're going to have a great session out there for pastors in that region of Canada. <clears throat> then what did he say? Raise them up with our heart, 
our vision, our dreams, our goals. Raise them up with our heart. Psalm 90, establish the work of our hands in them. So what we've established now, we established in them. Understand the work of our life becomes established. They rise up within us. Yeah, we have to bring some in from outside at times, but the, whole, the objective should be to raise them up within us. So they have our DNA, they have our culture. They, are, they have our brand. They rise up within us and go where we didn't, listen to this, this is profound what he said. They rise up within us and they go to where we didn't get to go. This is huge. If we can get this point across. And the dream that we have becomes fulfilled in them. Way beyond our time. Way beyond our time. See, it's generational. <laughs> they rise up within us. They go to where we didn't go. And the dream that we have becomes fulfilled in them. Way beyond our time. In the latter part of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews um, 11. I think it's 39 and 40. Yeah. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So in other words, here, here we have the, the, uh, the generals, the leaders in the faith. From, uh, you know, at the very beginning with Abel and Enoch and Noah, Abraham, and all the way down to David, Samuel, the prophets. Okay, the whole list. It's, it's talking here about all of them. I know you know this, but I'm just repeating it. They, so they all, this is applicable to all of them, is what this is saying. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised to them. Because God had provided something better. And he has provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So I had to go to the Message Bible to... You know, I didn't go to seminary like you guys did. So in the Message Bible, here's, it became more understandable for me. I know you all got that so far, but this is just for me and maybe one other person here. <laughs> Not one of these people, same verse, Hebrews 11, 39, 40, same verses. Not one of these people, even though their lives of path were exemplary, of faith, excuse me, their lives of faith were exemplary. They got their... Got their, no, let's start again. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for them and for us. That their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. Your work for God not complete apart from future generations of leaders. Amen. You'll not see the finished work. Our mindset is not, what can I put in them today? But what we can put in them today for all the tomorrows that are coming. 
So perhaps that will help you understand. And I mentioned that we're going to look at the ultimate tachometer. Uh, the next thing we're going to look at here is the maximum system for ultimate freedom. So I'm going to have a little, I have to position you here. And we're going we're gonna to look at where we've come from and where we're at and where we're headed. And so the maximum system for the ultimate freedom or ultimate freedom from a maximum system, the maximum CEO, which we did last year. Then we're going to look at the ultimate tachometer. Then we're going to look at the ultimate progression. We're going to take that line, like Pastor Anna has pointed, and you know, you know in the basic training. Our job, we're here, and that's where God told us to go. This is the straight and narrow. This is the shortest distance between two points. This is the continuum. This is the plumb line. And our job is to never take our eye off of what God told us to do, so we focus relentlessly on what God wants. And even more relentlessly as an ultimate CEO. But this is the straight line, the straight and narrow, and I want to show you, I want to illustrate on one of the boards here, the ultimate progression. And then what is it that you facilitate on this progression? And then the ultimate generalism. We talked about in the basic training generalists. But we have to have, you can't be the ultimate CEO unless you have ultimate generalists under you holding up your hands. And you can't, if you're going to have people step into your leadership position, then they have to be as good as you or very close to it and pass you, hopefully, Amen. in the night sometime, sooner than later. And then we're going to look at the ultimate performance targeting and what actions that you must do to stay in the ultimate CEO, to stay there, to get there and to stay there. So that, those are the things we're going to work on. Let's go to the first illustration, the system. What is the system? The system is the methods, the process, the empowerment process, the total involvement process, the Proverbs process, the three names we've been calling the process. But the system is comprised of the process, the methods, like your CEO job description, those are methods. How to direct, how to commission the work, how to evaluate, how to coach and teach and train and mentor. So those are methods. And then procedures or skill sets, like the art of confrontation, conflict resolution, the art of delegation, direction setting, those, those arts forms, skill sets but they all comprise the system. And then you know from the training that we have four component parts of the system. The first is positioning, where you position yourself as the leader. The second is the process that I just spoke about. The third is planning. And the fourth is performance. Positioning, process, planning, and performance. 
And we've been working on cultivating our skill level in these and building a powerful system with these four component parts. Positioning, where you position yourself as a leader, process, the process you use, which ultimately is God-directed communication with the team, the leader and the team, planning, the 15-step strategic planning process, the succession planning process, which we taught, and we had like eight coaching lessons on to the partners, and then performance, the skill sets that I just mentioned. All right, now we started over here. And we were dysfunctional. To varying degrees. But we could, I think we could all, if we were honest, say, you know, some of us were severely dysfunctional. Uh, some of us, one man, one gentleman said I had a PhD in dysfunction. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the other thing he said, which was even funnier. Um, dysfunctional. And why? Because these things had never been taught in seminary, Bible college, or anywhere else. But now, in order to move to the ultimate, we've, we started in dysfunction of some sort, out of position, not knowing the process, didn't have a planning process, or we had a planning process, but we didn't know how to monitor and evaluate the plan, make sure it happened, and we didn't have the skill sets so we were dysfunctional, but then we built a system, and we became leaders of the system. And we learned that it wasn't about lecturing, it was about modeling. And when we learned to model the system, when we behaved the system, when we functioned with, properly with the system, then we were discipling future generations because they were seeing it in action. They saw us doing it, not just telling them about it. So, and then we move over here to now, if, you, if you're going to be, this is max, the maximum. And over here now, we're moving to the ultimate. And what do we need over here? Here, we needed to get rid of dysfunction as fast as possible, learn the system, work the system, become expert at the system, and etch it into the minute, deep down into the ministry, because everybody works the process. Amen. Everybody down into the ministry. But over here now, the most important thing, the most important thing to stop was the dysfunction. The most important thing to develop and continue to develop is discipleship. And some of you right now are saying, geez, you know, I came all the way from Zambia and <laughs> India and Switzerland and wherever else, another, another nine nations from around the world. And I came here to learn about discipleship. Yes, you did. <laughs> because we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We need ultimate discipleship if you're going to be the ultimate CEO ultimate discipleship. So we have to learn what, what does that mean. So ultimate discipleship. 
Now let's, let's look at a few things. Over here, you were in bondage. Remember? <clears throat> Over here, you're going to have freedom that we just talked about. I illustrated it with the snow scene. You heard it spoken. Over here, freedom. We move from here, from frustration. Pastor said, I, I don't know how much more of this I can take. <clears throat> totally frustrated. Discouraged, demoralized, dismayed, despondent, depressed, depraved. There's 27 D words, and, and they all express virtually the same thing, frustration. So we're moving from frustration to steady, compounding increase. And we're going to learn how. Over here, we were in survival mode. Remember those days? Survival mode, near casualties. We were almost one of the 1,800 pastors that quit every single month. Near casualties. Over here, though, we're no longer surviving. We're no longer anywhere near a casualty. But we are where God gets the ultimate response from you. The ultimate response from you and where you have a quality, the ultimate, ultimate quality of life and, the, and build a great ministry. Now, before I fill in some more things here, let's, let's just take a quick look at what we've learned. And I applaud you. I said that earlier, but I, I respect you. I applaud you. I pray that God will honor your pursuit all the years of the battles you've fought. It's been tough. It's been a challenge. <clears throat> but you put the system in place, and you're going to reap the rewards next. You're not there yet. It may feel a lot better than it used to back here, but you're not there yet. It's going to feel a heck of a lot better over here. And I love to see people operating here. Whole different countenance, whole different quality of life. But we, for the, for the sake of reminding us, and for you new CEOs that are here for the first time, um, you have been given a workbook, I think, when you came in. We're not going to spend a lot of time. We filled that whole thing up last time, uh, and then some. But, uh, this, but I'm going to give us all a quick, you an initiation, and the rest of us a quick review. But you, you know, we had the tachometer. We learned that the tachometer we made an analogy between the tachometer on your car and a ministry tachometer, and we said that the tachometer, the tachometer measures efficiency and acceleration and responsiveness. It even has an RPM over it, 
which we transpose to stand for response per mandate. So how you respond to God's mandates is critical as to where you position yourself in your ministry. So when you're here as the leader, here's where the leader is supposed to function. And when the leader functions here, the responses will be high. To whatever degree you're doing the work of the ministry, doing the work, to whatever degree you're still doing that, the response to God's mandates will be low or lower, depending on how far away from leadership you are. But you're supposed to be the leader. And that's why we learned the job description, and that's why we've been learning all these things for years to get you to be positioned as a leader and get rid of the dysfunction of doing. And the, the dysfunction of doing, you remember very quickly, it, it I highlighted three things. One is the loss of intimacy with God, which is the first thing to go because you're stretched so thin trying to be a bit of a leader, but mostly doing everything that other people are capable of doing that God entrusted them to you to do, and they're not doing because you're doing it. And so you're cheating yourself of time with God then major mistakes are made, major opportunities are missed. And we, we even had an illustration up here where uh, I showed the, in the basic training, they, the average church in our nation keeps only 10 to 15% of the people that God sends, that he sends to your door. We only keep 10 to 15% of them. And I say point number two here is major mistakes are made. <clears throat> you, you, don't, you don't know you're not keeping 85 to 90% of the ones God sends, and the biggest tragedy is, unless you come to this training, before you don't even know what that number is. And everything begins with the facts. You can't plan, you can't build anything without facts. You, you're not working on that issue because it's not staring, you're not facing reality. So there's not gonna be any change until you face reality. So we went over that as well. And what we can, but, we, but you can turn it into, it's an 85 to 90% opportunity. If you've got teams, if you've got competent people, if you have people that can make it happen for you, then you can simply say, we have this problem, you discover the facts, and you tell them, make it happen. And that's what many of them are doing now. Then we went up here to the four boxes, and... I mean, you can follow along in your workbook a little if, if you want. But there are four boxes. The first box, then, in the old days, said we're dysfunctional. Now, we're not functional. We're f I mean, we're not dysfunctional. We are functional. So we now have intimacy with God. We do see the facts. We do see things that are wrong. And we are able to take an issue and a problem and turn it into an opportunity, which is good. And th these that are doing it are having tremendous opportunities now in their ministry because they have an infrastructure that can support them to make it happen. The second box, we talked about having core competency. Core competency under you. And we gave a list of seven core competencies. I'm not going to go into that now. I'm not getting, I'm gonna get in, in and out of this in 20 minutes here. But the, <coughs> which is no small task for me. But the, the uh, core competency here, Aaron's and hers, that will hold up your hands. And so they have learned, you have learned, that you need Aaron's and hers, you need to entrust them to hold up your hands and keep you strong and fight the battle with you. 
and in many cases for you. Okay, and then we, the next box, we looked at the leadership. So as you, here you function as a leader, and then you functioned with your five errands and hers, which is like this, right behind you, holding up your, up your hands. Then over here, we talked about a leadership pipeline. What's that? Well, it's filling this in. So when people enter your ministry, they get into a pipeline you design so that we can spew out leaders as fast as we can generate them because you'll never have enough leaders. And when you see some of the things we're going to do down the, path, down the road here, you'll see even more clearly why we have to have more leaders. And you will not be an ultimate CEO unless you have ultimate leaders. And you will have a depth of ultimate leaders. Ultimate leaders who are generalists, ultimate leaders who have capacity, who have competence, we were talking about core competency here, they have, high, they have ultimate competence and they have ultimate capacity to handle more. And I'm going to show you how you develop that in them. Continue. You've been working on it, but how to continue that. Okay, so the pipeline then is that your errands and hers have to have their errands and hers. And so we have an entry-level person comes into your ministry, they get right under the system over here, and they start to, we fill this in, this becomes a pipeline, starting here with you, the highest level leader, and then, but there's a continuum here, or a continuum here of spewing out leaders as we go. We're going to look at that in more detail. Leadership pipeline, and then this one is the leadership engine. A leadership engine. And what's that? That's where leaders, you're no longer the discipler by having lectures, but you have leaders at every level of the ministry developing future generations of leaders. Every level of the ministry developing future generations of leaders. And I, in the basic training, I said, I, I used a couple illustrations. One was General Electric, not so hot lately, but for a period there, uh, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, barely, they had a, um, a culture of learning. And Jack Welch built it. They had it in their culture initially, but he built upon it. And they were able to move from one company to 11 companies all having to have a CEO, all having to have an executive team under the CEO, and good quality leaders below them, down line. And 11 companies, all that times 11. And you say, wow, they, you know, they, they, they must have fallen from the ranks, you know, uh, starting all that, all that new, all those new entrepreneurial things there, and they, you know, how did they do that? They had a culture of developing discipling people. He spent over 50% of his time developing people. They, they, if, and this is how well they did it. In 14 years, they went from 10,000, if you put a $10,000 investment on GE, 14 years later, you would have had $800,000. That's how fast they grew, but only because they discipled. They don't call it that, they call it training and development. They have a chief learning officer, just like they have a CFO, they have a CLO. And look, I'm telling you guys, you know, I know you came all the way from Zambia and India, but discipleship is key. 
You cannot be an ultimate CEO without discipleship. And, and I mean big time and deep. And I know the problems. I know it's hard to keep people. They don't want to move. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to learn anything. They don't want to take risks. That's what leaders do. And you become more proficient at it. <clears throat> another, another one? IBM. I said, I, I used this illustration regarding discipleship. They faltered for years. They were the epitome of corporations in America. Uh, then they fell from favor. They, they stopped doing the things that got them there. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, yeah. You can move into the ultimate and stop doing what got you there, and you won't be in the ultimate long. Right, that's right. <clears throat> so they stopped doing what got them there. Dave, I'm going to have you come up in a minute. You Would you? Okay. Um, so IBM... They hired a new CEO. They said, turn this thing around. And we want to get back in the game, and we want to be the ultimate corporation we used to be. And he said, they had worked out all the deals and everything for compensation and everything, and he said, I can't do it. And they said, what do you mean? He's, he said, I can't do it unless you give me $100 million. They said, what, for what? Not for me, he said, but in my budget. I need $100 million to train and develop. He said, what, for what? He, he said, $100 million to train and develop 30,000 of our employees to become leaders. And if you give me the money, I'll do it. And they're doing it. They're back, they were voted the top company in terms of the way they treat their employees, their, the way they function, the way they're productive, the way they execute, the top na the, in, by for fortune. They were voted number one. They're back in the game. Uh, but $100 million for 30. So I'm trying to paint a picture here for you. This isn't like get two people and train them. Okay? It's not going to get you. You're not going to be ultimate. Dave, come on up here. There, there is a gentleman here from Canada who works for, who's one of the 30,000. So would you help, welcome Dave Nemes. Just uh, help yourself for two, three minutes and tell them what uh, they do at IBM and how it relates to this, or how this relates to what they're telling you at IBM. Sure. And thank you, Dave. I really appreciate this. I know I'm, I gave you plenty of warning, though, didn't I? 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm good to go. <laughs> I'm on here. Am I on? Yeah. Um, I work for IBM. I've been... Uh, what's called a professional hire, which means I didn't start with IBM. I've been there 14 years. I'm one of the 30,000 leaders that Dr. Radke mentioned. Uh, I am a first-line manager. Uh, my skill set is basically to be a project manager. Uh, as a project manager, I'm responsible for customer satisfaction. I'm responsible for producing the product or service that we're doing. And I'm responsible for GP, gross profit. And um, basically the things that I do and the leadership training that is made available to me that I've done and that I'm doing is the secular version 
or the, let me say it this way, the successful secular education that I have is based upon biblical principle. And, and I get all kinds of training and there's all kinds of here's the three steps for this and here's the seven steps for that and yada, yada, yada. But the bottom line is the stuff that works is based on biblical principles. And you know what? They don't get that. If you talk to the secular education part of it, they don't get it. They don't see it. Uh, I look at something and I go, hmm, that's the same as it says in this scripture or Proverbs or, or whatever. Like, for example, in Proverbs, get wisdom at all costs, right? I think it's 4-7. And to me, this stuff is basically the biblical version of a lot of stuff that I've already seen as far as leadership. I'm kind of like Dr. Radke in the sense of uh, I've come up in the secular ranks as far as working for a number of different computer companies and currently, like I said, IBM. But I've actually taken the principles that he's taught and I've applied it not only as a project manager in the specific uh, job that I'm assigned to do, but also as a people manager. I have people who report to me and I have to do performance reviews and I have to tell the good people that they're doing great and I have to tell the people who have a bigger vision of their value than what they're really doing I have to tell them and I have to lay it on the line and I have to give the, the good ratings and I have to give the poor ratings. And you have to be honest. And I have to be, and, and you know what, one of the feedback or one of the pieces of feedback that I got as a manager is that I'm blunt and that I'm honest. And a lot of times when people go into a performance review, they're used to a song and a dance. They're used to a story, they're used to Sugar coating is kind of like you come out of a meeting and you go, what did he just say? And, and the feedback that I've gotten is, you know, here's, here's what you've done great. Here's the areas of improvement. And, and I can say that applying this stuff has really helped me because uh, I understand biblical principles and I understand that if I can apply them even in a secular situation, that it produces the results. And people will look at it and go, Dave, there's something about you, or how did you do that? Or it looked like you were going to fail, but you didn't. And, and it's kind of like, you know, following that leading, right? I, and you're, even at your, the level you're at, you're not the head of IBM yet. But, uh, <laughs> but even in the position you're at, how do you facilitate, given facilitation? Uh, we didn't get that word up there yet. But the ultimate facilitator. So we've got, uh, I'm going to get it up here. How do you facilitate? You know, th there's, there is a lot of similarity between what you're teaching as far as building a ministry and the things that I do as a facilitator in a meeting. I mean, the, one of the key things that I do on a project when I'm trying to deliver value is, first of all, I have to look at the resources that I have on the project. And I have different resources. I'll have technical architecture people that will provide specific types of value. And then I'll have developers that have a different set of, set of value. And each resource or each set of resources brings a different component of the solution that I have been contracted to build. Uh, my job is to work with the customer. My job is to keep the customer happy. And my job is to make sure that we make a profit on what we're doing. But in doing all that, 
I have to facilitate my team in order to be able to start a project, in order to be able to, to do it as I'm going through it, and to be able to end it and say, I'm done. Mr. Customer, thank you very much for that very satisfied rating. Uh, and, and the very satisfied rating, by the way, is the best predictor of future work. But from a, from a facilitation perspective, I need to look at each one of my resources and I need to go, you know what, I've got three technical architects on this project. This person is the best person to put in the back room, lock at the door, throw in pizza once in a while, and then all of a sudden comes out some great work. This other person is more of a people person, although they understand the technology, they're good to put up in front of the customer. And they can answer the customer's question at a level that the customer is asking, not all the bits and bytes of detail. So my job as a facilitator is to look at each of the resources, to know who to put in front of the customer and when, and to try and, to try and draw out the best components of what they provide, and to try not to expose some of the other components that I'm aware of just by being aware of the resources. And the key thing that I do in terms of drawing out those abilities from the people is the same thing that you're doing when you're talking about building a ministry. It's the same thing. You, you can't put certain people in charge of certain things, but you can put certain people in charge of other things. And, and picking and choosing, looking at where a person's at, like everybody is in a continuum, not only in terms of their knowledge of the Word of God and they're walking out where they're at, but they're also in a continuum of being able to provide you with value. And the key thing that I need to do or you need to do is see where they're at. Can they do that? Is that a stretch assignment for them? Is that something they've done before? Or is that something that, you know what, you don't want to heap on them because it's going to be a lot of micromanagement on your part? Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Thank you. <coughs> Dave is, uh, as you've now g gathered, he's not a pastor, he is a servant. Dave is, is uh, not a pastor, and, and as you gathered, uh, he, he's not, he's a businessman, but he is a servant in his church, and his pastor, Pastor Klein, is um, blessed by an individual like this that gives time and, and energy, and, and uh, he wants to do more of it in the years to come. And, uh, you know, we need to be believing for, you know, I'm not the only person who left the corporate world. Uh, there's a tremendous uh, servant of God in this ministry, and uh, he's serving God in his church, and uh, he's serving God at IBM by what he just said. Yeah. And, you know, I hope you picked up on some of the key things. And the one thing that I uh, wanted to just, I don't want to revisit re, uh, all of that, but he said I have to stretch them, and that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to stretch people. It's not abuse, no, I'm talking about abuse, but we're going to have to stretch people uh, for God because we've got to go the distance, and in order for you to be the ultimate, we have to stretch people. Okay, let's, let's continue our review here. Very. Oh, it's break time. <coughs> yeah. I scared the daylights out of half of you. 